If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome to the Just Not Sports Podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's show, we will talk to former Chicago Bears defensive end Israel Adonage, who writes comic books that definitely, absolutely, positively do not feature himself as the star. And with the Rams returning to Los Angeles, we'll remember the infamous team video, Ram It, which definitely, absolutely, positively does not mean what you think it means. We'll also slam some hammers, give you some distractions, and so much more. Almost got a laugh out of Adam with that. Almost. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And joining me in studio this week, a leading sports media strategist who has logged time with the Colorado Buffaloes, the Green Bay Packers, and many global sports brands, it's Adam Allard. Adam, what's new? You know, uh, I'm a little bit worried about my cat, and uh, <laughs> I think she might be addicted to TV. So it all started with EA Sports PGA Tour golf game, where she somehow noticed, I don't know what she sees, but I was playing the game, and I think she noticed the golf ball. And so the TV is positioned on a stand that she can get to, and she watched this golf ball every time it went in the air. And then it just, now it just seems to apply to any TV. I convinced myself for a while, oh, it's just sports. But she she cannot stop watching the TV. If only there was some human in the picture who could moderate and control <laughs> her television consumption. Have you tried controlling a cat? <laughs> you I want to watch TV, TV on now also, when you go to work? So I could turn it off, but I want to watch it. Yeah, can't she get as much TV as you? What's the problem? I'm just worried about her eyes, uh, her mental state. Cats grow eyes if they fall out. <laughs> they do not. It's like an iguana. You should look that up. <laughs> no. Jeremy Guys, Adam, haven't you heard the saying, the, the cat has nine eyes? No, that's lives. Oh, uh, I was always confused about that. Yeah. Do you leave your TV on when you go to work for her? No. No. No, that's unhealthy. I feel like maybe I should read to her. <laughs> it's like you have a child. Yeah, it's weird. No, it's not at all. It's a cat. It's this not is, at all like you have a child. I have a child. My, this is what my <laughs> life is. Just no. She's, no she, comparison. She's either watching TV or sleeping. <laughs> yeah, no comparison. Yeah, she's, based, she's more of a teenager. <laughs> Moving on from cats, joining us in our Brooklyn Bureau, a seven-time sports Emmy-winning television producer, hard at work on the NFL season already, Gareth Hughes. How the hell is New York? I'm, I'm so glad you asked. Today, New York was gorgeous, and I rode my bike home from work because I'm that kind of guy. And the sunset over lower Manhattan on the Brooklyn Bridge was lovely. It was stunning. I, you know, there was Lady Liberty shining bright. There was a great article in The New Yorker last week about her unique green hue that paint people who mix paints haven't been able to replicate exactly. And uh, it was actually just a really special moment to live in New York. Hmm. Awesome. I was actually at work, working on NFL stuff, 
Saturday night, and I was going to get a, uh, get in touch with a friend of mine, and he lives in Chelsea, and he texted me right at eight thirty and said, "Whoa, bomb just went off." Whoa. Just totally knew it, you know. He his apartment was four or five blocks away. He felt the windows rattle. It woke his kids up. Oh, I mean, it was the real deal. So we were texting, and um, he he broke the news to me. And I went on Twitter and followed it and watched it kind of grow into a national news story. And after a couple hours, he was like, so you're going to be able to hang out? And I was like, no, nah, man, sorry. I, it wasn't that I like feared for my life, but it was like, I've got work to do. So I finished this piece and I have to ride it up to deliver it. It was late. So I got on my bike and I'm riding and they had closed off 27th Street because they found a second bomb. And I got, I started to get like, what the hell? I mean, and then I looked around, I was like, man, look at New York. There's a guy jogging down the West side bike path. There's drunk people out at Chelsea piers. And then I was like, oh, and I'm just riding my bike through Chelsea to work. (laughs) And so like, uh, that bombing happened. And within two hours, it was like, uh, so no one died. We think we're sort of cool. All right, we're we're all moving on now. Goodbye. Yeah, I mean, look, so. it's amazing how resilient um, the city is, and you guys have been through so much. Clearly, since you know, since nine eleven. I mean, first of all, we're happy everyone's safe, but I do think it's fascinating to see um, just how, uh, in a positive way, how sort of able you guys, the residents, are to just compartmentalize and move on. Well, I, I mean, I do think there's something to that. I mean, we're getting into it here. I like it. But uh, just about how people react to terror. And I always remember, I did a story once in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. And so I traveled to Israel. And somebody was talking to me about it before I went over there. And they were just like, they don't mess around with that stuff. Security there is nuts. At the same time, when something happens, people go about their day within two hours. Mm-hmm. and I do think there's power in that and just sort of saying it's not that he won't stop me. I won't even be inconvenienced by your threat of violence, you know? So, uh, but it was fascinating to watch and to inadvertently be a part of just cause I had to go deliver something. So well, we're glad you're you okay. We're glad it looks like, yeah, I mean, everyone's relatively like- okay. The homeboy picked the most random spot in New York to put a bomb. Dude, come on. Think harder, Homer. So I'll leave that there. Or don't. Or, or don't. Yeah. Or yeah, don't. don't think Please harder. don't. <laughs> his, his bail is set at $5 million. You never know. Someone might. Well, be. yeah, yeah. Okay. New Yorkers point. can make that joke. We can't from our comfortable perch in, uh, in downtown Chicago. Oh, yeah. And the safety of Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Moving on from socioeconomic issues that we all face. No, Joe, this week he is. Uh, detoxing from two weeks of vacation in Egypt. Ladies, he will be back soon enough. Please stop emailing us. On this show, we don't just invite people on behind the scenes. We slam the hammer on them publicly to get them to come on Just Not Sports and talk about a passion they enjoy. Gareth, in New York, the resilient Gareth Hughes from the most resilient city in the world. Who do you want to slam the hammer to? Speaking of resilient... There was a great New York Times story this weekend in the business section about Bart Scott and Antoine Walker working with Merrill Lynch's sports division. 
and giving really sound financial advice to up and coming NFL and at players and athletes. And it was a fascinating read about the way they've been involved in just telling people and counseling them on how to invest their money. Bart Scott was a guy who was undrafted and made the league minimum for a few years. Antoine Walker was a guy who made $110 million in his NBA career and blew most of it. And they came across great. And I really admired this last quote from Bart. And we've talked about mental health on here. And he basically said, I tell them the first thing I did when I was... I tell them the first thing I did when I retired was I got therapy. Every day of my life since I was eight years old, I had football. Then one day it's gone. There's no senior circuit for football players. And it's something that Drew Bledsoe talked about uh, when I talked to him last winter. He just talked about how when he retired, he didn't know how to – well, first of all, he said he didn't know how to make a doctor's appointment. But he just talked about how from a monetary standpoint, the faucet was shut off. Like he had just been getting these huge checks every week of week of his adult life, and then it was just over. So Bart Scott and or Antoine Walker, come on, let's talk about money management and the counseling you're giving to young athletes. I think it's really important, and I admire the way they've approached it. Yeah, if we could so. invite one more guy on about money management, I would say Lenny Dykstra. He did a great job uh, managing funds. <laughs> Going to jail for it. Spencer Strassmore, the fictional character from the show Ballers, played by The Rock, who uh, <laughs> happens to be a financial manager on the show. Or Tate George in jail for fraud. <laughs> yeah. You know, lots, lots to Any choose Any guy from. who's bought a restaurant. <laughs> Any guy who just gave money to a distant cousin <laughs> for a short thing. Investment. Yeah. Oh, you're making a movie? You got 50 Cent's cousin to star in it, huh? Impressive. An album idea. Can I produce it? A record label. Record labels are raking it in these days. Let's do it. You've got hey, a- hey, don't make fun, Adam. You that's ninety percent of Brad's playlist right there. <laughs> You've got an all-girl group True. that mixes R and B rap and some other form of music. If not for the poor investment choices of athletes, Brad would not My iPod would just be podcasts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Luckily your favorite rapper, Shaquille O'Neal, has made excellent financial choices. He has. All right, Adam, who are you slam the hammer to? Um, this one, well, first of all, I just want to go back to my cat. At least she's gluten-free. We're cutting all that, by the way, so I wouldn't go back to it too long. We put her on on some gluten-free food and things have worked out better. Um, so I actually kind of stumbled on this one. Um, my girlfriend was in town a couple weeks and she was getting ready as girls sometimes do. And I was uh, (laughs) looking for something to watch on, um, on Netflix and came across a show called An Army of Frogs, an animated yes. series. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. It's kind, of, it's kind of like Ninja Turtles, but set in a different world and different characters. And as the opening credits came through, I noticed that the executive producer was none other than Trevor Price, former defensive lineman for the Broncos. Denver Broncos, um, who I grew up watching. Uh, and had no idea. And you know, a poor you know. investment for Mr. Price. Yeah. <laughs> so. so, well, so he, this started as a novel um, and, and sold pretty well. Trevor wrote okay. the novel. It sold pretty well, uh, has been adapted into a um, animated series on Netflix and now turned into a graphic novel on top of that. So that's awesome. Uh, 
I thought it was really interesting. I, I want to learn more about exactly what Trevor's role is. Uh, obviously, the book he wrote, but from there, what his creative involvement has been. And and uh, so slamming the hammer for Trevor Price. Yeah, I'm seeing a description here that it's like Lord of the Rings, but with frogs. Kind of uh, cool. Okay. Is that right? It's more like um, Conan the Barbarian with frogs or more like Thundercats with uh, frogs. Now I'm following. Uh-huh. <laughs> My hammer, he writes fan fiction for Thundercats. I'm sorry, what? He writes. I don't fan, think he's telling the he truth. He writes fan fiction for Thundercats. Really? No. Oh. It's Cubs manager Joe Madden. Talk to some homies in the in the uh, in the marketing world. They tip me off to a really cool thing that Joe Madden does for charity. So he, first of all, Cubs having a great season. Go Cubs! Excited for October. Believe in this team. Drive. He drives a custom 2016 Jeep Rubicon, leather seats, bat handle gear shift. Mm. Awesome. Cubs mural painted on the roof, and CB radio. Included, you know, for, for some on the road action if you need some entertainment. Mm-hmm. Valued at over seventy five thousand dollars, or seventy two thousand dollars more than the blue book value of my two thousand four Jetta. Whoa! Like right there, he raffles it off to benefit various charities. So the uh, Misericordia Home, I believe is how you pronounce it. Cubs charities, Respect ninety, uh, various uh, various good causes involved here. So basically what he's going to do is he's going to raffle off his car. The car he drives every day. There's less than Hmm. a thousand miles on it. He only just drives. He gets a new one every year. It's all tricked out. Customized for Cubs fans. Driven by the manager. You can buy a ticket for $100, but there's only like a limited number they're going to sell. And then someone's going to win this car. So you can... I just want to pass along the information. I think it's really cool. You can find it online. Find more information online. Uh, you can get tickets at like select binnies and like Wrigley Field elsewhere. But for our listeners all over the map, just Google it. But yeah, Joe Madden, I want him to come on, talk about the raffle. Or uh, also, you know, he's really big into music. He's big into other stuff. Like I think he'd be a great guest after they win the World Series. I'm sure he'll be, we'll be his first interview. If you got someone to talk to, you want us to talk to, email us justnotsports at gmail.com or tweet us at justnotsports. Right now, taking a quick break, have a very fun interview. Adam missed this one. He was working late. But Gareth and I What's talked new? to Israel Adonage, longtime Chicago Bears defensive end, uh, uh, part of the really underrated Bears defense from the 2000s. You know, the team that led them to basically led a quarterbackless team to the 05 playoffs and uh, a semi quarterbackless team to the Super Bowl in <laughs> six. Uh, he came on, he ta- he's big into comic books. Another creative guy. He has started his own comic company he's got his own uh big issue the protectors it's a lot of fun he has a really good time with the interview so you're gonna enjoy it stick around we'll be right back joining the show right now is israel adonage Israel was born in Africa, moved to Canada, and wound up in Chicago, where he played defensive end for the Bears for 10 seasons. He was part of one of the most fearsome defenses in the league, helping the Bears to the Super Bowl in 2006. Since retiring in 2014, Israel has turned his attention from defending the end zone to defending the planet. Kinda. 
He founded a comic book company called Athleta Comics, and his series The Protectors follows a group of superhuman athletes who defend Earth from sinister forces. So today we're going to break down his lifelong love of comics, his sources of inspiration, his trips to Comic-Con, and more. When I think about comic books, I always go back to what was the one that sort of gave you that itch? Like, was there a certain title, a certain book, a certain character that just kind of sucked you into this world uh, when you were young and just and just got you hooked? Well, um, actually, for me, it was, you know, really started with my parents. They, they Reading was something that we had to do in our, our household growing up. So we had, like, a mandatory reading. My, my sister was reading, like, Roots by Alex Haley and these, like, massive novels. And um, I happened to get, uh, we actually happened to get a a box of, my parents had a program called Street Love. And in that box, one day we had some Green Hornet comics. And um, I picked those up and that, that was, you know, my choice for for uh, for my reading. And, and that was kind of the first, it was just like a little, uh, I don't know, must have been, you know, about 10 books in there and some other comics. So I picked those up and, and I wasn't necessarily in love with reading, but, you know, at 13, I started reading comics and then uh, I had a paper, a paper route at the time. And uh, Oh, I'm, I, I'm one of those. I, I, I'm a former paper boy here. Hamilton Journal News. What's up? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I worked for the Brandon Sun and, uh, you know, I had, I had about a four block uh, route that I did. And um, after with my little paper money, I'd ride down to my little shop, and uh, you know I'd get to sit in and, and buy myself comics and, and Slurpees. That's that's kind of what I did. <laughs> you you mentioned the, the you mentioned the comic shop. How much was like a little subculture, a little um, kind of place there for people to talk comics? Um, how much? How I guess how important is that to you as you formulate your your love of it, your opinions of it. Were there people in your life that you could kind of um, share thoughts about? And, and did that help you develop your style that kind of led you to the way you create your titles now? As far as kind of where comics, the the, the comic shop has um, 100%, and I think it has an important part in, in it has had an important part in, in kind of my life. And I think with what we're trying to do, yeah, we, we, we see that as, as really the 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 gate, they're the gatekeepers of being able to introduce young readers. And even to this day, when I walk into a shop, there's just a different feeling when you walk into a little comic shop, and it just feels like, I mean, like like it's always felt. I don't know if you know what I mean. Like you walk in there, and it just has that like feeling. It's just a different place. The the love, the connection, the community is just a little different. And um, you know, I think with everything that we do, we definitely want to have a place within that, and 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 hopefully try to support and feed that. The the uh, the journey or the the life of you know these these uh, shop owners, these retailers, it's hard. You know, it's it's a hard space. So, you know, I know big picture any way that we can add value and support them, along with you know growing our business. I think we'll we'll look to continue to do, but ultimately our dream is. To have you know the protectors or the dream kids books in uh in comic shops across the country and hopefully across the world 
I love what you said about shops and the culture around them, Israel. I am a. Uh, I have actually said on this podcast at the end of every segment we do uh, a piece, or at the end of every show we do a segment called Distractions, and we talk about what we enjoy right now. And one of my things in the past has been hanging out in record shops. That's my subculture, but just that sort of shared experience and knowledge. And you learn things from the people there. I learn music. I learn um, culture in a way, just engaging with people firsthand around media that you don't just engaging with it online or only with a computer screen. So the brick and mortar, God bless it. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And, and even like those interactions, you're right. They do not happen much anymore. You know, um, I actually, uh, I've been fortunate to do some signings in some shops here in Chicago. And I love like seeing just dads and their kids come in and keeping that alive because mm-hmm. there's a lot of, there are a lot of kids who will never like, they just, it's just not something that they do. Like they just, it's just the world has changed so much, you know, from when we were growing up, literally you, uh, got home from school and you went outside and you played outside all day. You came in, you ate, and then you got to play out. So, you know, you heard your mother call for you or somebody call you or the lights, the street lights started coming on. So, so um, just times have changed. So it's great. I I love to see, you know, kids come into the shops and have that like energy around them and that excitement of like entering this, this world of, of, of adventure and just the excitement around around that. So I agree. I think uh, you know, to your point, it's important to do what we can to, to keep reconnecting our new generation and um, mm-hmm. and, and and ourselves. You know, I think we do it also for ourselves. You've got a paper out. You're earning money. You're going to the comic book store. You're making money. Uh, you're spending your money on comics. Uh, you're riding around on BMX bikes with your kids. This is a beautiful all-American story. You were born in Nigeria. Yeah, you grew up in Canada. Now, I, I bring all that up because, you know, backstory is interesting. But also, were comic books something that helped just sort of bridge cultural gaps and like common ground with people that you've met throughout your whole life? I mean, you have a very unique background, but the Green Hornet is fairly universal. I mean, Marvel is the lingua franca of pop culture at this point. Has co- have comic books helped in that way? You know, I, I think so. I think you know, um, as far as exposure, and I think they do really represent. Like, you can sit down and and uh, be exposed to a whole new point of view, a whole new adventure, a whole new fantasy, which ultimately changes your perception or, or opens, mm-hmm. you, opens you up to new ideas and new things, you know, and I think comics, you know, has um, done that and, and has made attempts to do that, to tell stories, to, to, to impact or, or shed, shed light over the years and different things. Um, and I think for us, we definitely 100%, we want to do that. With uh, with our stories, you know, um, being able to to uh, you know invoke thought or 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 uh, ex- expose new views in, in particular things or expose people to things that they might otherwise not have thought about or seen from a certain perspective, you know, um, I think that in itself, being able to experience something through someone else's point of view through a comic, 
I think is a, a very mm-hmm. powerful way of telling the story. Um, and that's, that's one of the beauty, beautiful things of the platform. Well, so you talk about the platform and ways to tell a story. One thing that I definitely want to talk to you about that I find really interesting about comics is like Brad and I work in media and television, and these are very collaborative forms of media. Comic books are more collaborative than I would have thought. So what is your experience and process as far as like, it's your idea, but how many people are you hiring? Who is, do you hire a writer, an artist? What is your involvement in that? It's more collaborative than I would have thought. Yeah. So for me, one, so 2007 during training camp, I was playing with the bears. I decided that I wanted to tell a comic story and I had read you know, um, not read. I'd watched, you know, shows like Pro Stars where uh, you have oh, these yeah. athletes that are given these abilities. Oh, we're familiar. <laughs> <laughs> we talked, we had the guy on who played the voice of Wayne Gretzky on the show and asked him all about, like, oh, my Pro goodness. Stars. <laughs> That's hilarious. You know, um, but the, the stories like that are uh, NFL Super Pro. Um, mm. So these these stories, I felt. I mean, one, I wanted just during training camp. Training camp is football, eating, and and like hanging out with the guys in the locker room, playing games, and meetings. And you just do that every day, over and over for three weeks. So 2007, that training that training camp period, I said I'm going to do something different, and I wanted to tell the origin story of the athlete, not from the typical perspective of the NFL using their brand or, you know, using Wayne Gretzky, Bo Jackson, and, and Michael Jordan, but to really do an origin story of all these athletes in our time, what is the true source of their gift, their power, their speed, their strength, their intellect, their ability? What does that come from? And in the story, it actually comes from this, another dimension where these ageless ones actually gift a selected few of human beings with this spark in order to protect themselves from the dissenters. And over time, that spark or the knowledge of that spark is lost. And you come to our current day today, and one of the ageless ones, Gaelic, is on Earth. He sees Isaac Chike. He really, he, he's a football player, but he realizes that this guy has this spark within him and that the ability for the human race to still be saved by these protectors that were uh, initially brought gifted, um, that ability for them to save the human race was still was still alive. And in our world today, you know, the human race is under this, this warfare to, to be subjugated by a dark force that's within the control of humanity through politics, media, and religion. And only the protectors um, can now rise to, to save them. And, and uh, it's, it just happens that if you have that spark, you're fast. You're like a byproduct of this gift is all these things that make you a great athlete. So, you know, Gaelic has to now r- r- rally the first group of protectors. Say, hey, you guys were actually created to be more, to do more. What will you do? Will you just be a mere entertainer, or will you actually, you know, stand up and serve your purpose and save this human race that um, that needs your help? So, right. so to your question, that was my idea. <laughs> I got a ton of help bring I've never written a comic book. I have played in the NFL and here are the people who like here are the the ageless ones. <laughs> so yeah, so I I can't, I, I kind of crafted that old the, the the bones of the story. The protectors, the dissenters coming to earth 
you know, the the uh, politics, media, religion looking to to own and subjugate humanity. And the athletes now have to realize that their ability in sport is a byproduct of this greater gift and that they had to now, some will decide to be protectors, some will decide just to continue to play sports, some will actually join the dissenters and fight on, on the wrong side of, or will fight on the side that they believe is right. But, you know, that kind of, I I'd kind of formulated this whole universe I uh, got connected with a, a, a great writer by the name of William Watkins, who kind of took mm-hmm. my whole brain dump and, and basically put it into like a, a it's like a two inch Bible of the original Protectors universe. It's it's like was fascinating. And then about probably eight nine months later, 2010, I had breakfast with uh, Ron Mars. And uh, we are at San Diego at the Comic-Con, and we had breakfast for about an hour and a half, two hours, and I, like, dumped the whole universe and all kind of how everything I'm lay, laid out to run. And he was like, you know what? This is a great story. You have something here. But let's cut out. We're going to take this part of the story. We're going to move it to the beginning. We're going to do this, this, right. this, this. And, and Ron coming on completely took us from where we were to, like, a whole another level. He really did a fantastic job of capturing the essence of the story that I wanted to tell of what Will had kind of fashioned and taking it to like just a whole nother level. And then uh, after he had done that, you know, uh, and, and what was interesting, so the point of view or, or one of the, the points of views in the stories is from uh, Silas, who is this reporter and, you know, Ron was a perfect fit. He, made, he was a sports reporter for a lot of years before he got into comics. And uh, so he had just, mm-hmm you know, ability to tell this, you know, cosmic hero story, but, you know, with undercurrents of sports and how that whole interaction, that balance would then, you know, just a fine balance of that story, how it would how it would be laid out. And then when it yep. came to like who can capture all of this in in sport and like in the story as well, uh, he said, I got the perfect guy and his name is Bart Sears. So uh, we were fortunate to get Bart on board, and it's actually um, the original, the um, the uh, original uh, protectors' images were brought to light by uh, Mark Bright, mm-hmm. um, who who Will had brought on. So um, it just all 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 in all, those four in, individuals: Will Watkins, Mark Bright, Ron Mars. No, like, as far as this team, I was like the rookie. I was like, hey, I got this idea. You guys are the vets in this space. You know, um, let's. How do we come together to do this the right way? So I gotta, awesome. I gotta ask about this. So you mentioned the protagonist of the protectors, um, Isaac Chike. I, pr- I believe I'm pronouncing that correct, right? Yep, correct. Okay, man, you've got one of the greatest names in NFL history, Israel Adonijah. <laughs> You look like a comic book superhero. Just put yourself in your own comic book, man. I do not disagree with this. You what? I do not disagree with this at all, actually. You know what? It's funny. Um, you know, over the years, I was just like, you know, every every time I'm talking about the book, it's, well, it started actually with Lance Briggs. Lance was like, Oh yeah, big you know, comic who's fan. this guy in the book? <laughs> big time. 
And I was like, no, this is Isaac Chica. He's like, this is just you. Yeah, why don't you just call him? <laughs> <laughs> so um, every time I see Lance, he gives me a hard time about that. But I, I was really, I wanted just to just to tell the story and 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 let the characters kind of be their own and, and stand alone in their own right. And that was the the goal. But um, we did actually do a we did actually did a do a one issue book of kind of my life story uh, in uh, in a vertical in our in our company called Sports Heroes. So we actually do have the Israel Adonis story uh, in a comic. Well, I expect that to be in my mailbox tomorrow. Crossover, crossover. No, no, no. We're cr- doing a crossover episode. Is this going to be canon? I mean, what are we doing here? Let's go. <laughs> so. so let me ask you this, because one of the things I loved about when I was when I was researching that you know, the title and just your overall um, you know foray into this world, in a New York Times story, someone described some of your team described this as um, you know a sports comic without being a sports comic. That that struck a chord with us because we're we're sports talk with no sports talk. You know, we talk to people in sports, but if, we would never bring up the games. So, from your perspective, on the one hand, you want to write about what you know. You've got this immense wealth of knowledge and experience in professional sports. You can relate to the athletic mind in a way that most people cannot. On the other hand, you don't want to go so far down that road where you create too small of a niche and you lose your broader comic book fan base that might catch on to a story that's less sports specific. How do you as a creator find that balance between, you know, the, the, the sports aspect of your heroes, but not being just a quote sports comic? You, you know what? I think, you know, um, one, it, it's, you know, kind of, you know, I talked a little bit about the balance of the story and making sure that we did it the right way. And that was really why it was important to have the right teammates and the right kind of people from, you know, who knew how to do comics uh, involved with the story. And, and Ron Mars actually kind of summed it up the best for me. He, he said, ultimately, you know, um, the the, the storyline of sports and football and, and, and baseball and soccer and, and hockey in, in the story of the protectors uh, is in parallel story of uh, a newspaper and uh, a writer in the story of Superman. You know that's interesting. The, this football is the Daily Planet. I like that. <laughs> right. You know, so so that kind of having that kind of perspective, like yeah, there there are sports in the story, but ultimately the story is at its core. It's about the understanding that we all have gifts, we all have abilities. And with your gift, with your ability, you will at one point be faced with the decision of what will I do with my gift? Will I use my gift for good? Will I use my gift for what I've always used it for? Or will I take it to the next level? Or will I use it for what some may consider to to be uh, on the right, on the wrong side of, of the line? And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what The Protectors is, is about. It's about the story of our gifts, our abilities, and you know, regardless of, of who you are, where you're from, your economic background, what you believe in, you do have gifts. You do have ability. What would you do with your gift? All right. So that's what the message you're trying to get across. What are you doing with this gift now? So where um, where have you left off with the protectors? And what is how do you how are things moving forward with 
Is your imprint Athleta Comics? Is that your that's your imprint, correct? correct. Yeah, Athleta Comics so, is us, and, and that's our. All right, so that is your gift. And what are you doing as far, like, where do the protectors stand? And are you looking into other uh, comic book avenues? Yeah, so the protectors right now we're working on volume two, which is the uh, issues six through ten. Um, we have it all mapped out. It, has a, a really exciting, um, uh, just it's really an exciting story, and, and it picks up after um, number five, where you know some time has passed, and now the protectors are, are kind of in their their role as as you know um, defenders of the human race, and mm-hmm. so that's all in process. Ron is is working on that. Um, and uh, what we've learned thus far is, you know, we printed issue zero, we printed issue one, issue two, we realized, hey, as being an independent publisher, that's not the way to go. So then we waited and we did the collected. So um, we're just going to wait, we're going to collect this and release the full printed volume, which is 6310 as a, as a full volume. But prior to that, we're going we're to actually release it digitally on Mayfire. Um, we have okay. a relationship. We're forced to have a relationship with them. So, just learning the lessons as far as there is a business side to this too. So, we got to be diligent on how we we roll these out in the ways that make sense. And uh, rolling out the full completed arc in uh, you know in, in trade form is is really the way to go when when you're kind of doing it ourselves. Yeah, how complicated is the business of comics? You know, there's not just the printed versus digital. There's the brick-and-mortar store versus, you know, Amazon-style distribution networks. You know, you mentioned going to Comic-Con and the role that grassroots, um, you know, a a grassroots presence at the big conventions can play. Uh, There's merchandising. There's everything else. Like, how are you navigating the what seems to be increasingly complicated waters of the business of creating a (laughs) successful comic? Yeah, it's it's a jungle. It's a jungle out there. So fortunately, we we do have guys like Ron Mars who knows any and everybody in the industry. So we're able to to sit down and get advice from some really bright minds in all the facets of the business. And then what you quickly realize is every aspect of the business does not necessarily fit for where you are in your journey. So, you know, for us, you know, what's important to me is the story that we're telling. So, you know, because that's so important to me, you know, for me, I want, I want to sort of like really be involved in how we tell it, the components of, of what the messaging is. So because of that, you know, every deal, every relationship necessarily isn't right for the protectors or for Athleta. So, you know, as you kind of go down the path, you know, based on what your needs are, where you want to be, you have to to really, you know, um, kind of figure those things out. Like this year was our first year at uh, Comic Con at San Diego, where we had a a, a, a booth presence. You know, um, and we've been doing this for you know a long time now. So, any time previous to this 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 trip, it would have been premature to be at San Diego to have a booth. But as you continue to grow, you're like, okay, you know what? Now we're here. We are. We have this, these things in place. Yeah, it makes sense. And you know, hopefully, we'll be able to make a bigger splash there next year and continue to grow the brand, the story, 
the characters to continue to, to connect with the characters. And I think kind of our approach has just been one step at a time. And uh, we just want to make sure that the next step that we take is is a step that that feels really good to us. Well, at Comic-Con, I loved your cosplay of, of dressing like Isaac Chike. Oh, wait. <laughs> <You> just... <laughs> oh, wait. Lance Briggs just thinks you look just like him. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that was a good one, Brad. Yeah, that was funny. Uh, That's pretty good. I wasn't expecting that. That's funny. <laughs> Um, one, one of the things I like that you just said there, though, is concentrating on the story. And I think one of the things that's been fascinating, like when I was a kid and I think we're around the same age, it was when the Batman movie came out, it really restored comic book movies, the Tim Burton Batman to being serious films and not just campy Batman movies. And I think since then, comic books have been and comic book adaptations have been seen as some of the most serious and influential storytelling around. So and I mean, you're obviously working within that tradition. We all know some of these names, but what are the comic books that you find yourself still reading and picking up when you go to these brick and mortar stores? And what are what are comic books and who are the writers that are driving you? Well, I'm, unfortunately, as with kind of everything that I'm doing, I haven't had a chance to really read a lot of, of books. When I I stopped reading when I had children, so I get that. <laughs> so <laughs> I I, um, I try to get around and, and pick up. Uh, just you know, try, I try to do two things: try to get around and and get through the artist alley and and buy some art that speaks to me and support some some artists that that are creating great work. And then I try to also get around and, and pick up some books and, and uh, you know, so I have actually a, a, a large stack of comics that I need to get through. Um, but um, for the most part, I think really when it comes to, to our space, I've been, I'm focused on, on our story. So I spend a lot of time writing, um, mapping out what, where we want to go with our universe. Um, Ron and I spend a lot of time kind of doing the same thing. And then, uh, when I take off, you know, our, my athletic hat, you know, on my other side, I, I actually have a manufacturing business, which is my core business. So uh, we manufacture thermoform plastics right here in Chicago. So, the, uh, so this is your, this is like your, your side job, side job. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah. So, um, the, the rest of the time we're in the plastics business and, uh, you know, so kind of balancing the the passion, which was to to create comics, and you know the the life after football job, which is you know um, what we do in in uh, with my manufacturing company, having a full roster and a full plate. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to when things kind of slow down and and we can kind of I can kind of get back to, to doing that and enjoying, um, you know, just stories, especially with so many talented creators out there. Um, that's something I actually do look forward to all just exploring stories and, and new universe that, you know, uh, other people, a kid like me somewhere else said, I want to tell this story. I had this idea to, to tell a story that's never been told before. You know, those those kinds of, of propositions are, are very exciting. 
Well, hey, man, here's a story for you. How about your next character, NFL vet, running a plastics factory. Accident happens. He gets super stretchy plastic <laughs> strengths. He's called the manufacturer. Boom. Printed. <laughs> That's actually good. I would read that. <laughs> that is actually pretty good. <laughs> he said I would read that. Volume two. Volume two. We, we, do, accept, we do accept royalties. We also know you know you're very involved in Chicago, you know where I live in with your foundation. Uh, the mission is you know being committed to impacting underserved communities by providing programs focused on social and emotional life skills. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you guys do and also just how important it is to be reaching younger younger people at a formative time in their life and and just focusing on helping them develop their sense of self? their sense of where they fit in the community and in the world? Because I feel like that's that's very inherent to the mission of what you guys are doing. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think just the, the journey for all of us is our journey is about transformation. Um, we all experience change through our lives. And, and um, you know, I I was able to grow and have some success through my transformation really because I had a lot of great people around me and I had some great mentors and I had some great support. Um, and I'm sure for each uh, of us, each of you, that, you know, through your transformation, through your journey, you've had people support and be there for you. And, and, you know, I'm sure there are a handful of people you could say, wow, this person really helped form or change my life. And that's ultimately through uh, our organization, what we're trying to do. We're trying to help kids understand their own gifts, understand who they are um, and, and what they have to give to the world. Uh, hopefully, with that, then understand where their what their place is. How do you now fit in your world with your gifts? To or in order to be your best self, you need to have a plan. You know your short term goals, your long term goals, your vision for your own life that you've created, that you own individually, not that somebody else wants for you. To have your own plan, uh, and then to understand that every decision that you make uh, affects that plan. So think carefully, make the right choices, make the right decisions because they affect your life and the, your plan long-term. And then just, I think for me, what the most important key is, is uh, it's you know called effective communication, you know, but I think it's just more so understanding that a very important key to success in life is building positive relationships and your relationships that you build throughout your life will go a long way into in helping you just be successful, you know, um, and, and communication and, and, and connecting is really a big part of those relationships and, and building a successful future. So kind of that's what we, that's the engine of our foundation. We have an, we have an after school program. We do Monday through Friday, three to seven that our kids can come to. We do a, a program annually called shop at the cop. We have a hundred kids last year. We had 75 police officers, a chance for the leaders and the officers to come out and let these kids know that we love them, we support them, and that they have an important role to play in the future of our community. We get to bowl together, we eat pizza, and then everybody gets a hundred dollar gift card, and the kids all get to shop for the holidays for themselves. And um, and then we do an all star football and cheer camp here in Chicago for about two hundred fifty kids. Again, hey, you're important. We love you. You are a, a key contributor to this community. That that you're valued. Um, and then through the sport aspect or the chair aspect, it's, you know, we, we teach about, you know, working hard, giving, giving everything you have, you know, um, working together, you know, giving, giving, you know, your, your support of your teammates or your fellow dancers. And, uh, and that's what we do. We, it's really simple and straightforward, but it's really needed for, for our community and, and really in these times that we're in today. 
Well, thank you. For I love it. On. Yeah, thank, and thank you for coming on. We will uh, tell all of our listeners, go check out The Protectors. It is available on Amazon. They should follow you on Twitter, I, uh, Adonage. And uh, where else can we look for your work? Yes, well, The Protectors, you can get it on Amazon, as you mentioned. Just look up The Protectors, Volume 1, with uh, myself and Ron Mars. You can also get it at athleticomics.com on our website. You can pick it up there. And hopefully soon we'll have our second property, the Dream Kids Adventures, which I uh, also created and wrote. We'll be uh, hopefully it'll be online uh, by the end of this year. We'll have our our first book done. So um, yeah, we appreciate the support. Everybody who's bought the book, our our uh, our fans that have supported Athleta. We just, I mean, the journey couldn't have been more amazing. It's been it's been just a, a fantastic journey. From to, to, to going from an idea of something we wanted to create to having something real that people have enjoyed. Um, that parents reach out and say, man, my son never read a book all day. He's been sitting in the corner reading, reading The Protectors. That's that's what the journey is about. So I just thank everybody. I thank you guys for, uh, for being a part of the journey with us. And we're looking forward to the movie of The Manufacturer, The Plastics Guy. That's coming next year. I'm looking forward to it as well. I'm looking forward to <laughs> Tell me how it ends. <laughs> Israel, thanks. Uh, yeah, it ends with lots of drawn out oh. legal battles over intellectual property between us and you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Thank you for joining the show. Uh, best of luck with everything. We'll be looking out for more, more great comics. All right. I appreciate you guys. Take care. The Rams are back in Los Angeles, which means the media is firing up old footage of Deacon Jones setting sack records, Flipper Anderson dancing in the end zone, and Jim Everett punching Jim Rome on the deuce. But nothing captures the flashy but fruitless run of the LA Rams better than the 1986 rap video, Let's Ram It, which comes across like a Jane Fonda tape if you replace Jane Fonda with all the actors from Miami Vice. Joe, let's take a listen. Yep, that's pretty much what six-year-old Brad thought sex was in 1985. Well, guys, this is the this is I would say this is tailor-made for just not sports. There is probably no music video that's ever been created that is more in our wheelhouse. So, Gareth, let's kick this off. Did you get in trouble when you Googled Ramit video? Not working in the NFL, man. I think everybody knows there's only one Ramit on the internet, and that's this video. <laughs> The best part about this video, and there's a lot, is the album cover that I was able to find online. And it says, performed by many of your favorite Los Angeles Rams. It's just so <laughs> underwhelmed. Like, they couldn't just say their Rams. Like, performed by some dudes who play professional football. It's really hard to find the names. I had to go look frame by frame, look at the roster oh, number. Oh, yeah. Detective work. Needed. Yeah, look at the roster. Yeah, look at. And that, it still didn't help because I didn't know who many of them were. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me start like this in terms of detective work. Gareth, was this the 85 Rams or the 86 Rams? 
Uh, I'll go eighty-six. I think it was eighty-five. Based I think on it was going, eighty-five too. But going on, and I again because I didn't bring my notes, I forget why I know this. But comparing the two rosters, there was someone that I was like, "Oh wait, there is no number, whatever it was on the eighty-six Rams." And so I went back. Wait a minute. You know who wait missed this, Adam? Guy? What? Yeah. That's how deep you went. Like you were comparing rosters. Yes. <laughs> yep. Oh, but I don't have the notes. We need these so notes. I take my word for it. You know who missed this by a year, which would have been hilarious had he been on the team, uh, 86 Rams, Herm Edwards. No. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine Herm Edwards in this video? No. He would have been like, his, his, his segment would have been like, my name's Big Herm, and I'm too clean cut to actually ram it. Exactly. <laughs> you know who else was missing from this video, notably? Uh, Hall of, and the now Hall of Famer. Linebacker Kevin Green was a rookie on this 1985 team. Kevin huh. Green was a rookie, and they didn't let him in, but they let in like the dude who looks like Chad from the latest season of Bachelorette, Hollywood <laughs> Handsome, aka Nolan Cromwell. Is yes, that his name? Nolan Cromwell. Nolan Cromwell. First of all, no one named Nolan Cromwell ever played in the NFL. This guy was an actor, unless plant. he's a kicker. Like, <laughs> not even a kicker, dude. He, unless he's a cricket player who was just visiting to do like a segment for BBC about what is <laughs> what is the other football. Nolan Cromwell. And this guy looks exactly like a Don Johnson wannabe. He's got like the perfect stubble. He looks like a <laughs> mannequin that has been brought to life in a mannequin sequel that never actually made it beyond VHS. <laughs> it just it's all over the map and Gareth, had you let me start with this. Had you heard about this video before we decided to talk about it? Because up until like I want to say a few months ago, I when we did the '85 Bears retrospective, I had never even heard of this song. I I had there was a first of all, Rember Brown did a great breakdown on it on Grantland. Yeah, he sure did. Uh, and so just I I say that as much to say to anyone listening. Yes, we are aware that he also did a great breakdown of this. Um, There were, when I worked for the Patriots, we played a lot of New England, the Patriots and we, their 1985, uh, I guess you could almost say response to the bears. It's terrible, but I give them credit. I think as Desmond put it once for singing, it's a song, not a rap. Um, but that was in my early days of working in football and the early days of YouTube. And it became a, a bit of a black hole for us to go down and just re- like, look at other team videos from that era. The 86 giants had one. Um, but I think ram it with the entendres that it includes. It's sort of in a league by itself as these things go. You mentioned that. Let me just ask you this. Was this the most oblivious songwriting? <laughs> or was it were tr- the, the first trolling? The most intentional yeah. songwriting. Like, we know what this means. It's not innuendo. It's straight. It's You're describing Rammy. You're describing having rough intercourse. There's lots of talk about, air quotes, the ladies in yes. this video. It's all about ladies loving football let me show the ladies if you if you work it right and i want to get into this later because i want to actually power rank the best and worst of these segments of the lyrics <laughs> and i've got a few but i think this whole thing sounds like the lead song from nocturnal emission the musical oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mean like ram it all day and ram it all night yeah 
Like it, that's obviously not about football unless the Rams had a double header in 85 <laughs> that I missed. Back then they played both ways <laughs> and they were a lot tougher than modern NFL players. According to old NFL players. Well, since you have the notes in front of you, let's do talk about these lyrics. All right. Well, first, okay. First, before we get into it, I have a couple of key points. Uh-huh. Then we'll get into lyrics. Jackie Slater has what can only be described as a hyper awkward sax solo. Number one, he does not play sax. It's hyper clear. awkward. I he, thought it was. Oh, you. Mean how do you know he doesn't play sax? He doesn't play sax. He never had played sax before. You know this? Yeah, this it was in another retrospective that I read. Oh, damn it. You thought he was that good of a sax player? No, I figured, though, maybe he... No, I guess <laughs> He just not. held it to his mouth and thinking. pretended and shook. And then there's this one horrifying scene where he's in, in the stands empty. Right. And it's a really wide shot, and he's just playing it by himself. And then all the other guys kind of conga line in. And I say horrifying. I love it. I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic that this exists. But there's a line for me where things get cringe-inducing mm-hmm. that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. And if it's if it's so bad, it stops becoming fun for me, and I start just feeling bad for the people involved. Yeah, yeah. And that's this 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 gets right up to the line, like Kevin Green trying to time a you know Elway snap count in 1987. <laughs> right at the line, man. They just. It is. There are real awkward, weird moments. Don't you think it guys. pushes the line? I want to feel. I feel it rams like, it, with say. the exception of Eric Dickerson, once they do the first, um, the the first sax solo, they get into a bunch of random guys who clearly came unprepared, and they were in there just because I feel like they were like anybody who wants to be in this, we'll find a verse for you. Just show up. Yeah, but we don't care if this is seven minutes. Long. But clearly, this. This whole song is about guys who came unprepared. <laughs> Name Dickerson. Well done. Well done. Uh, also, what, are we getting into the lyrics now? Okay, yeah. We're going to power rank the lines. Uh, we're, we're Not so much power rank. I guess we... How do you want to do it? Do you want to just go through and I'll read you all of them and you tell me what you think is best? Or I was thinking we should rate them from a, on a scale of one to, one to ten for which is the most accidentally sexualized lyrics you mean purposely yeah purposely yes yeah, but yeah, like for yeah. their uh-huh. purpose like oh you know. we'll pretend they're making yeah. an accident oops oh that oh i made a song about sex all right sure. <laughs> nolan cromwell aka hollywood handsome aka chad from the bachelorette i like to ram it as you can see nobody likes ramming more than me yeah it was one of my favorite it sticks out <laughs> <laughs> what would you rate it 10 being the most <sighs> the most oblivious or intentional? Uh, most intentional, that's a nine. You're a kicker, you guys. I would pay it six, seven. Oh, really? No, that's a nine. Gareth? Uh, I'm going with a nine as well. You're a kicker, you got to make an impression. He was their kicker? Who? Nolan Cromwell. It- I don't think that's true at all. I think no, I said that. No, I think he that. was like a, like a linebacker or something. Yeah, I think, no, I think well, I just right. said that. Or tight end, I don't know. Off. Okay. Dennis Hara, Hara, a.k.a. Herc. I learned long ago to ram it just right. You can ram it all day and ram it all night. See, you you rammed it. You blew your ram wad way too early, giving that last one a nine. This one is this one is a nine and a half. Okay. Yeah, I can go with that. Uh, Nor- Nolan Cromwell is this, uh, a strong safety. White guy, but strong okay. safety. Gareth, where do you rate this one? Well, yeah, I... I- 
I'm like the judge who blew my load on the the Russian gymnasts in the first round. <laughs> was that intentional? Did I just ram it? You did. You did just ram it. <laughs> I'll go seven. Okay. All right, here we go. David Big Daddy Hill. I'm quick off the line as I can be because I don't want Dick running over me. Well, <laughs> at first you think, like, that's weird. Then later you find out he's talking about Eric Dickerson. Oh, yeah, no. Later, after I stopped laughing. Yeah. Right. Although I felt at the time it was some cheap shot, and we were going to find out later what that what Dick meant. Uh, five. Okay. How about, well, let's go right to Eric. Oh, oh, wait, no. Gareth, you go ahead. I give that one. I give that one an eight. Really? It's that. Eh. I don't want Dick running over me. They were like, well, he's like, I could say Dick, but I don't know. I feel that's weird. I've never heard it's Eric almost, Dickerson called Dick. No. Ever. I, I felt it was like too homoerotic at 85 to be really serious. He was like, oh, just wait. You'll understand what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it was weak. Gareth? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of with I don't think it was intentional. This one's not moving my needle as much. <laughs> Very all right, nice. Do yourself. Well okay, so here's Dickerson. If you ram it just right, you can ram it all night. Dickerson? What else does he say? That's the only line I had. Dickerson's a 10, fellas. Dickerson is a 10. Just the fact that he a shows up. A star running so back like that in the 80s? Oh, my God. Just the fact 10. that he shows up so late in the video, it's like when you're like, I didn't know Kendrick Lamar was on this song. And then you get hyped. Same thing. You were like, I don't know if Eric Dickerson's going to show up and rap here. And then he does. And it's amazing. All right. Here we go. I don't There's know a- how sexual, but I agree with Garrett that it was pretty friggin' exciting. All right. I would. I, I, it's a lower for me. It's like a six. The dude with the shade says ramming is fun when you're ramming with me. Mm. Five. I feel like, yeah. That's creepy. Yeah. Ramming could mean a lot of things in that context. All right. Last one. A guy named Johnny Johnson. <laughs> Real name. <laughs> yeah. The ladies agree. Before they know it, they're ramming with me. I mean, 10. That's a 10. That should get you arrested in some counties in Los Angeles. I felt like a, a cheerleader pulled out a can of mace as he wrapped up. And there are cheerleaders in this video. Yeah. How many yes. How many women in the 1980s? And like, let's like just say between 1985 and 1987, how many women who went home with a member of the Los Angeles Rams for consensual night were forced to have intercourse to this song? Because the guy thought it'd be awesome to like hear himself rapping during it. Hmm. Sounds like a scene out of straight out of Compton. Or like David Duchovny when they said that he would get spotted singing the David Duchovny song by Bree Sharp or whatever her oh, name was. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think any guy ever listened to this after it came out and there was public reaction and they were like, oh, we thought this was just a fun thing we were Dude, doing. Dude, these guys, you know the reaction was positive. They thought this was so hot. That team, when they made, that team made the freaking... Um, NFC Championship game. You yeah, know they were just true. blasting this on like beatboxes outside the, the state. In L.A. at that time. You might be right. L.A. was so cheesy. L.A. is so cheesy, and it was so cheesy back then. Oh, come on. Yeah. They okay. love this. You're right. And look, we love it too. I just, I get for me, it just, unlike Super Bowl Shuffle or some of the other ones, it just goes right to the edge of ridiculousness yeah. in a way that I watch it and I just can't tell. Like, these guys are talking about getting run over by Dick and ramming it and the ladies. And I just, I'm like, did anyone, are they in on the joke or are they not in the joke? And I guess I feel bad. I feel bad. Uh, They're in on the joke. Absolutely. I think that's what makes this amazing.
And we are back. Uh, when athletes do cool stuff away from sports, they're often criticized by media and fans who just cannot live in a world where dudes aren't watching game film or sitting at practice all day long. But we know on Just Not Sports that life is, dis- uh, life is work and the things that distract you from work. So on this show, we provide you with some of the things distracting us. Adam, let's start with you. Um, so I heard Norm McDonald on Stern and, uh, he told a, a little Johnny joke. You guys familiar with, with little Johnny jokes? I'm, I would or never dirt, be sorry, familiar dirt, with a little Johnny, d- dirty Johnny jokes. You're, you're, I, I, I have a favorite dirty Johnny joke. Yeah, yeah. So, so I just gonna, thought this was a, a, like a trick to get me to say, oh yeah, I know all about little Johnny's and you're like, gotcha. No, no so I'm going to, I'm going to tell a dirty Johnny joke. Uh, so, I love this. So, uh, guys, on, the, on an episode that has our breakdown of Ramit, I don't think we should be going into sexual innuendo and uh, this type of stuff. Uh, yeah, I think this works perfectly. Uh, so, uh, so, so little Johnny is with his uh, grandfather, and, and they're outside, and his grandfather gets out a cigarette and smokes it. Enjoying it, taking a nice puff outside. And uh, Johnny says to his grandpa, well, can I have one of those cigarettes? And he says, Johnny, you can't have one of these cigarettes until your penis is long enough to touch your asshole. And little Johnny, <laughs> little Johnny doesn't like this, and he storms off in a huff. So next day, uh, little Johnny sees his grandpa who's, who's having a beer out on the porch, and he says, "Grandpa, can I, can I have a beer?" He says, uh, "You can have a beer, like I told you yesterday, Johnny. Uh, when your penis is long enough to touch your asshole." It's Johnny. He's fed up. Storms off again. Next day, little Johnny, he's inside, uh, eating a bowl of ice cream. And Grandpa comes in and says, Gee, why don't you get your Grandpa a bowl of ice cream? Little Johnny says, well, is your, is your penis long enough to touch your asshole? And uh, Grandpa says, actually, it is. Little Johnny says, well, then you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you remember when we used to bleep profanity in this show? Yeah. <laughs> what has time wrought? Uh, that's fun. That is good. That is so. Have you been googling like Gareth, like other of these jokes? Or yes. No? Okay, so there's a whole series of them. yeah, amazing. Yeah. All right, I like it. Uh, can I tell my joke instead of a distraction this week? Sure. All right. So it was the first day of school. That happened a lot of times. Like. That's been going on around the country. My daughter just had her first day of school. But Dirty Johnny walked into class on his first day of school. And the teacher said, okay, class, we're going to learn the ABCs. Can anyone tell me a word that starts with A? And ooh, 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 Dirty Johnny's hand shoots up. The teacher thinks to herself, I can't call him Dirty Johnny. She's going to say ass. And so she calls on Sally. Sally says, apple. Apple starts with A. 
Whew. Uh, very good, Sally. So then, can anyone think of a word that starts with B? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Dirty Johnny's hand goes up. I can't call him Dirty Johnny. We'll say the B word. So she calls on little Billy. Billy, what starts with B? He says, well, besides my name, a ball. Very good, Billy. C, C won't work. D, she gets all the way through the alphabet. She gets the letter R. Okay, can anyone tell me a word that starts with R? Ooh, ooh, Johnny's hand goes up. She thinks to herself, I can't think of anything that's a bad word that starts with R. So she calls on Dirty Johnny. All right, Johnny, what starts with the letter R? Rat. A big fucking rat. (laughs) (laughs) I feel bad. I don't have any of these Dirty Johnny jokes to... uh... So to use as a distraction. Like you said, Aaron Cohen told me that joke our freshman year in college. I've remembered it ever since because he tells a joke very, very well. So uh, that's my shout out as well, I guess. There, there's a the one more Norm McDonald does. I looked at when I read it; it wasn't funny, but uh, there is such an art to being a great joke teller. And the uh, I will find a recording of the of Norm Macdonald's version and we'll post it. Cause it was, I've listened to it five times. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, I was going to just cold read one of these off the internet, but the first one I read has a sexual assault. He sexual assaults another girl in his class. Oh, that's not so good. I'm going to move on from dirty Johnny and maybe not advise everyone to just start Googling this monster. <laughs> <laughs> read dirty Johnny jokes guys. It's great. <laughs> All right. My distraction this week fell down a YouTube hole of, bullying gone wrong which is like bullies picking on dudes or you know girls or whatever and then the person being picked on just knocks them out and i found it very gratifying oh interesting it was fascinating to watch i'm not condoning violence any more than you're condoning dirty johnny jokes no i'm condoning you are yeah uh but i did think it was like it was interesting Hmm. i loved seeing a bully get like just put in his place. Like like the scene in the Christmas story with Scott Farkas. That's probably the ultimate example of a bully getting a beatdown. Well, there was the bully the show Bully Beatdown on MTV. You familiar? <laughs> no. This is where That was not a that a, was not a thing that happened. Yeah, there was a teenage bully who would uh beat up on his high school classmate and then they would send this bully in to fight against an MMA fighter. I forget the name of the fighter, but yeah, this huh. was an actual show. But it was like a real sanctioned fight. Yeah, an octagon. I believe one why of would the, the bully? Why would the bully agree to MMA this? Fighter. Uh, I don't know, because they th- really believed in their fighting ability. Because it's all staged. Probably. Probably yeah. for money. Yeah. But you all know that feeling of like watching uh, an action movie, and all of a sudden they start to waylay the bad guys. And rather than cringing at the violence, you just sort of laugh. I feel like there's a lot of that sort of visceral reaction to those bully videos, Brad. Yeah. I'm going to give a shout out to Israel Damage, longtime Bears player. Uh, I'm in Chicago, rooted for him quite a bit. Uh, he has started Athletic Comics, a really interesting company that's making some cool titles. I would say go online, check them out, look for them on Amazon. And uh, I'm going to give a shout out to the dudes from Ramit and the guy who looks like. You know, he was the father of Chad from The Bachelor. Mm. I hope he found peace. Cool. Gareth, any shout outs? 
Shout out to Jackie Slater's son, Matthew Slater, now a pro bowler with the New England Patriots. Could he have been born after the Ramit shoot? The world may never know. Hmm. May never know. Wow. <laughs> Adam, any shout outs? Uh, shout out to John Gruden. Take it easy. <laughs> That's all we're going to say. That's all we're going to say about that. We can't talk sports. Uh, and then, as usual, uh, shout out to my boy Uzi, Def Jeff, Little Swanee, Meech, Ron Mack, and my other cousin Ron. And in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, Booty rappers, rappers, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and stay booty. <laughs> <laughs>